Hi everyone, welcome back to the Media Mates podcast. My name's Ralph Tucker. Each week I'll chat to somebody I've met from my career in and around the media industry. All of them have such great stories to tell. I'm not Michael Parkinson or Andrew Denton, but I do enjoy chatting to interesting media people about where they've been, where they're headed next, and everything else in between. My guest today is Jess Pelliccioni, who's now a judge's associate at the District Court after an extensive media career with radio stations 2SM, 2UE and 2GB, and in television with Channel 10. She chats about the rush of putting a radio news bulletin together, transitioning to TV, and now pursuing a career in the legal fraternity. Jess is a really interesting and engaging personality, so I really hope you enjoy our chat. Hello, Jess Pelliccioni. How are you? I'm good, Ralph. And yourself? Not too bad. Thanks for joining me here today. We must explain where we are to um, set the mood. Whereabouts are we? We are in a very leafy park in Sydney's inner west. Unfortunately, the cafe that I promised would be completely dead on a Saturday morning was heaving, so <laughs> we've had to relocate. I apologise for the inconvenience. No, it's quite all right. <laughs> now, you're now mixing it in the legal fraternity. How's all that going? Fantastic. It's been a bit of a uh, culture shock, I suppose, after working in the media for about 12 years, but um, I'm enjoying it. It's a and much what, more manageable lifestyle. I was going to say, what is it that you're actually doing and what makes it more manageable? <laughs> I'm working as a judge's associate um, at the district court, which is pretty hectic in itself. Um, however, the hours are, are much more manageable. I'm not going to be sent on a helicopter anywhere at, you know, six, seven o'clock in the morning. I know where I'm going to be for the day. Um, and, you know, while things do have to occasionally be done in a hurry. It's nothing like that half-hourly deadline of working in breakfast radio. Now, let's go back to your media career. Where did that fascination begin or where did that pathway begin to pursuing a a radio or a media career? I think I always loved writing and that was all I wanted to do pretty much. All of my um, teachers at school said I should go and be a lawyer, funnily enough, and I thought at the time that sounded incredibly boring and I think I just wanted to go and write for Rolling Stone magazine or something like that. Um, But when I was at uni, one of my – I had a radio unit to complete and um, my tutor said, oh, you've actually got a good voice for radio. Why don't you come in and learn how to read the news? And um, I think when I I started learning how to write for radio, I actually really enjoyed – the economy of words that it involves and the challenge of saying as much as you possibly can using as few words as you possibly can. Um, And I I think I really enjoyed that challenge and um, he helped me get it. This was in Perth um, where where I went to uni and he helped me get a job at at 2SM in Sydney. So I I had one more radio unit still to complete and um, when I got offered the job and I, you know, was sort of tossing up whether I could leave when I hadn't actually finished my degree and he said, look, I'll sign off on the fact that you've completed this unit because I know you could complete it, just get on the plane sort of thing. So, um, yeah, I moved over here and started working at 2SM and um, moved on from there. seemed to be a whole raft of people that came from Perth in the, I guess, in the (laughs) early to mid-2000s. What is it about that that made everybody want to come over here? And a lot of them went back, but there was 
a huge influx of people from memory that came over from Perth to sort of work at 2SM originally and then sort of spread their wings to other places. Yeah, I think a lot of them had done the same degree as I had and there was a little radio station set up at the uni, a community radio station, uh, much like 2SER over here, and... um, we were learning how to read and write there and um, and 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 the the tutor had a relationship with Bill Corrales who was the boss of 2SM um, right. and Bill would call him up and say look have you got any people that could come over that are ready for me to put on air basically without because you really don't get any training there whatsoever no. um, so we were all packing up our bags and, and heading over because it was the opportunity for a job and it was you know I mean the, the media industry in Perth's pretty small it's hard to crack into and you know it was just an, an opportunity that was too good to to pass up I guess and how did you find that experience that 2SM experience? <laughs> um, I, well, I think probably the toughest thing for me was coming over here and and trying to learn Sydney sports because in WA, it's all AFL, AFL. And yeah. I didn't even know that rugby league was existed. And then all of a sudden I was having to write about it. And possibly one of my worst mistakes on air was mispronouncing John Hopawati's name. I couldn't for the life of you. I think I said Hopawati or something like that. <laughs> and the number of callers I think that was my first, you know, um, experience of copying abuse for stuffing something up on air. And, um, you know, at the time I didn't realise how big a mistake it was, but I just hadn't had time to pre-read the sport and it was put in front of me while I was reading the news and it came out how it came out. That would have been a huge learning experience for someone that would have been totally not something that you were used to and then having to get that right. And I guess it's one of those things is you could have written or read five or six news stories incorrectly and nobody would have rung up, but it seems to be that the the sport's the one thing that people will pick up on. <laughs> the sports nuts are definitely the most passionate. That that and finance, people get very upset if you hadn't updated finance um, or, yeah, if you got a sports score wrong. They're definitely, definitely the things that upset people most. And in that period at 2SM, like I said, there was a number of people coming through at that stage. So who were the people that you would have worked alongside that had gone on to sort of greater things from that particular newsroom? Um, I think at the time, Carl Herve, who's an ABC court reporter, who I obviously deal with a bit now um, in my new job, um, he was reading the breakfast news there. Um, I moved over with Tracy Vo. We live together, um, who she's reading Channel 9 News in Perth now, um, and Lee Steele, who, who does bits and pieces at Channel 9 in Perth. Um, yeah, there was a really good crew um, there at the time, and, and um, you know, I don't think we would have survived the place without each other. And how long were you there for? I was there for about nine months, I think, um, and in the time that I was there, I was um, you didn't get a lot of feedback on your news reading or anything like that. So I um, got in contact with Justin Kelly at 2GB and Greg Burns at, at 2UE. They were both the news directors at the time and would be sending them tapes and asking them to sit down with me and help me out in the hope that I would get good enough to get a job at either one of those places. And um, just happened that 2UE came up first. Um, and so I, after nine months, moved across there and um, started doing, you know, hideous overnight shifts, weekend shifts just whatever it took to get my foot in the door. How important was it for you in that 2SM learning environment to, well, not try things, but just keep doing and just that repetitive nature of putting together news bulletins and all of those things that what seemed like a dream was actually reality and it gave you that great stepping stone to move on to to UE. Yeah, I think 2SM is an amazing opportunity. You know, you're reading, you know, real news on a real radio station and, um, 
yeah, I, I would record, you know, after I felt comfortable, I guess after maybe, you know, f- four to six months when I, I built up my confidence on air, I would just, yeah, record every single news bulletin that I read in the hope that I'd made you know, uh, maybe just one mistake or something, you know, during that bulletin so that it was good enough to send to 2UE or 2GB. Um, and, yeah, like I said, you know, um, both um, Bernsey and, and um, Rosa, Justin Kelly were great at giving feedback, even though you might not necessarily end up working there, you know, in the future. And, um, yeah, I would just go in and I, I suppose, um, I, you know, I probably felt like I was hassling them a lot but in reality, that's what you've got to do. There's, you just have to be a pain in the ass and, and not worry about being a pain in the ass. It would have been really valuable for you in terms of your career for to just to get that feedback, not necessarily knowing that they may or may not have a job for you, just to have those people in important positions at radio stations were, that were obviously above uh, 2SM to just deliver you that so that you could improve yourself. Definitely. And it's so generous of, um, you know, people in those positions to give their time um, to someone who, you know, may or may not have a future. I suppose the fact that they took their time um, in helping me, maybe, you know, that was an indication that they thought that I, I might have a future in the industry. But um, yeah, it was, it was you know, great. On, and, 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 and they both have, um, you know, approached things differently. And, and I, I, I find that found that getting the most feedback from the most, you know, a number of people that you possibly could. Like once I did um, start working at, at 2UE, I would get feedback from Burnsy. I would get feedback from Clinton Maynard, Lynn Scrivens, um, Steve Bland. I was fantastic at, you know, helping you with your reads. And, and Sandy Aloisi was there at the time as well. And she was good for getting a, you know, I suppose a female's perspective on, on how to read the news. So, um, yeah, I just would ask as many people as possible for feedback and, you know, some bits you take on board, some bits you might not think necessarily apply to you and, you know, you just pick and choose the advice that you want to take, I suppose. So what was that like then having the step up to go to to UE? You would have then been out to cover various stories. Do you have any recollection of the early stages that you went out into the field and for the first time and was, was learning about the whole process of, okay, going out there and maybe getting Vox Pops or going to a media conference and just those basic things of like putting together a story that's going to be put on the, the, the radio that day. Yeah, I think when I first started there um, and uh, Derek Peterson was a breakfast editor and um, uh, he was, you know, he's, he's just one of the best radio writers I've ever worked with, probably the best. And um, he would, you know, tear your stories to shreds, like, and and rightly so at the time. I was probably yeah. writing complete crap. But um, I remember the first time Steve Blander read a story that I'd written word for word. It was just, you know, it was so exciting. And, um, yeah, then, yeah, I mean, I did a lot of – I probably read more at 2UE than I did reporting. Um, that was, you know, how they saw me more as a newsreader than as a reporter, um, which was fine. I, I really enjoyed reading the news. Um, but I, I remember Dan Sutton took me out on the road um, to teach me how to report on courts, um, you know, and, and there were some really good reporters there at that point in time that would take you out and, you know, show you the ropes. And, um, yeah, I think, you know, I can't remember what the first story I would have had on air was, but, you know, the like I said, you know, the excitement of having someone read the same sort of excitement extended to that when, you know, some, a story that you got to finally made it. And I think at that 
time, you know, they did, we had, you know, there was a lot more money in, in radio news and there was a lot more reporters. So you probably got sent to stuff that was never going to get a run. But um, Derek was really big on making you find a story out of nothing. You know, like yep. we could be sitting in this park now and he would make you find a story and you'd be like, look, there's really nothing happening here, Derek. And he'd be like, I don't care. Just find something. something. And it's probably something that, um, you know, journalists coming through nowadays don't necessarily have to worry about because they probably don't get sent. They don't have enough reporters to send to those really no, crap exactly. yarns. Reading the news, and you mentioned economy of words there, how important was that for you to practice that stuff to get it all together and know, okay, differentiate between a story that's not a story and one that that, that is and then moulding that into what people hear on the news? Because obviously 2UE is one of Australia's most respected radio stations, so you know that there's a standard there to uphold, right? How important was that for you to learn those things and put them together? Yeah, definitely. It it was tough, you know. I mean, I think we, you know, there used to be a thing where you had, you know, you were meant to try and get seven news stories in a bulletin, and to get seven news stories in a bulletin, you had to be really, really careful with your words. And Derek was a great person to um, learn from, and uh, you know, I mean, you we'd get put on hideous overnight shifts. You had a lot of time, you know, between 9pm and 5am when Steve Blander would take over, you had a lot of time to practice um, getting, you you know, those bulletins together. Um, But also, you know, you're there by yourself and you're still having to fill as much, and you don't have any reporters on the road, obviously, because it's one o'clock in the morning. Um, And so getting those bulletins together was tough, you know, that when there's no news happening, you're writing the same story over and over again, but trying to write it in different ways. So, um, yeah, those those overnight, hideous overnight shifts um, were definitely invaluable in, in, in helping um, get those skills down pat, I suppose. Not everybody's willing to do that. So did you feel as though, yeah, while I'm doing this and while these shifts are pretty ordinary, it's going to help me in the long run? Yeah, definitely. I didn't even think anything of it at the time. Um, I just just did it. I just thought it's it's what had to be done. But I think you're right. A lot of a lot of people would think, no, nah, no way, no way. I'd be getting up at one o'clock in the morning to do a breakfast shift, or no way I'd be working, you know, sitting in a newsroom by myself at two o'clock in the morning when the lights are turned out and the cleaners are vacuuming underneath your feet. Obviously, you had an eye on something bigger, and when things turn out that people leave, you obviously move up the food chain. What was that like for you having to, like you said, start at the bottom, but then make that gradual progression where I think you were reading nights, which just can be quite a prestigious job, given the fact that, you know, people like Stan Zamanik were on the, the radio at that stage and other people there that it's where people get their, their information when they might be traveling home from work or something like that. Yeah, I moved up, yeah, I suppose, into the the thing that you wanted to do, well, that I wanted to do, you, you either wanted to get a senior reporting gig or a, a permanent reading shift, I suppose, and that would save you from those overnights and those hideous, yeah. you know, working all weekend. Um, so that night shift was great. Yes, um, Stan was on it for a bit at Clive Robertson and um, and, and you and I also read the sport during, um, um, read the news during sports today, Um with with, um, with Brandy and Gibbsy, um, and yeah, I really really liked that shift, and um, that was you know it also gave me an opportunity to to um, break a lot of big stories. I suppose there was often stuff breaking at that time news, of night. News, news doesn't run nine to five. No, exactly, exactly. <laughs> there was often good police stories happening, or I think on that. Um, that shift, yeah, there was, uh, you know, there was always stuff happening. It was, it was always busy, even though, you know, most people have probably clocked off 
for the day. It came a time there where you decided to leave to UE and went overseas to, to travel. What was that like for you? Um, yeah, well, you know, I just yeah, sort of came to be at, at that point in time. And um, but at I think I'd been overseas for about a, a year and I got a phone call from, um, from Laura Tunstall and she had been working as the... Um, crime reporter at 2GB and um, she was, I think she was just exhausted, you know, it's a tiring round and she said, look, I'm, I'm leaving and it's going to make my life a lot easier if I can offer them up someone to take over, you know, do you want to come back? And so I um, talked to Erin Ma, who's the news director there and um, yeah, came back to take over that position and that was... Um, that was hectic, but I probably, um, you know, I, I learned so much doing that that crime round at, at 2GB. There was so many, I don't know, it was just that point in time when I was doing it where there was so many big crime stories happening. You know, there was the, actually, I think, it was, I think I'd moved to Channel 10 by the time there was the, the collar bomber um, story, but while well, I was at 2GB, there was, um, you know, Kaisha went missing and Michael McGurk got shot and um, there was that, that, um, Oh, the guy's name escapes me. The the guy that got killed in the crossfire at a shooting out west. It was there was just there was so many big um, crime stories that happened during that period of time, and I got very little sleep. But I covered a lot of big stories. And Two GB they love their crime stories, so you know it was um, it was great exposure as well. Talk to me about that because obviously you then went from one end of the day to the other yeah. pretty pretty much. So you are in there early in the morning, but you may in fact get a call if there's a major story breaking in the in the middle of the night. So you're always on call. What was that like for you to transition into something like that where you sort of, you said that um, uh, 2GB placed a huge emphasis on, on crime and, and doing stories that were, were breaking and being on the scene, but it's not really a a glamorous job at all. Like it's it's fun, and 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 I'm sure there were, like you said, heaps of stories that you're able to go out to and, and and break. But at the same time, like it's full on, isn't it? Yeah, there is no time of day. I don't think for crime reporting. I mean, yeah, technically your shift starts at five o'clock in the morning, and technically it finishes at two o'clock in the afternoon. But um, yeah, frequently you would. I mean, pretty much, I would say, you know, four days out of five, you would still be working um, at five five o'clock in the afternoon because you have to file for the six o'clock um, news, you know, the you know wrap up the day sort of thing, and um, and then you know you might I would just go to bed as early as I possibly could. Didn't care if it was seven p.m. I would put myself to bed because you know chances were that two hours later I'd get a phone call that there was a lot of shootings around that time that you know someone had been shot out west and you you know have to get in the two GB car and drive out and. Um, you know, find where this shooting was and, you know, often there wouldn't be any other reporters there. There might just be cameramen because the TV crews would send out a, a camo and um, that was it. You know, your night's sleep was over and you might be able to sneak home for a couple more a couple more hours before you went back to the scene at 5 o'clock the next morning, but often it wasn't worth the drive home. You'd just sleep for a half an hour in your car if you could between filing and get one of the cameramen to wake you up if someone came out of the house or there was someone to talk to, you know. How important was it to build up your contacts in that regard? Because, you know, the stories, you're going to get some things that are, you know, phoned into the newsroom or whatever, but um, having contacts with police and having contacts with rival media organisations or cameramen or whatever, like that's that's a fairly important part for anyone doing that, that round, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. You have to just 
be friends with everyone, I think, to to keep across everything. And um, the, the one good thing about doing um, doing crime reporting in radio is that you are everywhere, you know, so you do get to build up a rapport with the police. You don't necessarily have the time that I know a, you know, a newspaper reporter might have um, where they get to go, you know, take the cops out for coffee or, you know, what. you don't have time for that, but you are always there in their face. So I think they get, and you're always on the phone to them, you know, at any time of day. So I think you, that's the way you kind of build up contacts, I suppose, just, just being everywhere. What was the the difference like between going from newsreader at 2UE to crime reporter at 2GB? What did you like best about being on the road and, and doing that job? There, there is an excitement associate uh, involved with reading the news. You know, there's that pressure to get everything to air on time and, oh my, you know, how how am I going to get all of these stories done on time? And Actually, I had, I had a um, a job interview not related to media recently where um, there was a question about um, how do you how do you meet deadlines with competing priorities and you know I used an example of working in radio and putting a, a radio news bulletin together and they said well what happens if you don't get all of your tasks completed in time what ha- what happened then and I said what do you mean what happened then and they said well you know was there a time when you didn't get everything to air and I, <laughs> that never happens it it doesn't matter you just no. get it done regardless of how tight the time frame is or if you're just making stuff up there's always know, there's, al- there's there's always time right there's, there's always, always time, time. Yeah, it, it, you just get it done and i just i think i'm you know i must have just had this blank look on my face if I don't understand what you mean what if it doesn't happen it just happens you know um but that sort of being under that sort of pressure and that excitement compared to being in your car and you know just rate I think I, I, my speeding fine I haven't had a speeding fine since I stopped working as a journalist <laughs> my, I think probably nearly lost my license with the amount of fines that got sent to the 2GB newsroom just like racing out to the crime scene and um, scrambling for as much information as you possibly can to get a story to air um, you know early in the morning but yeah there's a real buzz about that I think do you think there's a great shame associated with the fact that I guess rush or that adrenaline may have, and I guess you can't sort of speak for people that work there now, but there's no competition. So there's no 2UE v 2GB, even though you're probably friends with the rival reporter, you still had to get the job done and get it done first. So now that kind of doesn't exist anymore. So people in those positions, I guess, wouldn't have the same sense of urgency that you may have had back in the day. Yeah, I can't even imagine what it's like. Um, like like you said, I can't speak on behalf of them, but there was always that pressure to beat, well, 2GB when I was working at 2UE and then and then vice versa when I switched over. And um, like you said, I mean, I, Sarah Crabb was the crime reporter at 2UE and Jodie Spears was a little, she was the crime reporter at, at 2UE when I first started at 2GB and then Sarah yep. Crabb took over and love both of them dearly. They're both great girls and I was, um, you know, close to both of them. But, you know, there was – if you had something big, you weren't going to share it, um, even though if you are both at the same story, it was, you know, there was no point in being nasty about things or anything like that, you know. But, um, yeah, and there was always that rush to beat them regardless of how – Because it's not only just the news. I mean, you've got to supply – 
a lot of the time the information for programs, programs who yeah, want want to have that information first. Yep. So you're both on your mobiles yep. while you're trying to piece together, I guess, you know, your, your, your kit and put it together so that you've got some actuality to put into to something that is going to be a live cross as well. So there's a whole lot of pressure that listeners who listen to radio may not necessarily understand the frantic nature of it all. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, if something happened and you had 10 minutes to file, you would, you'd still have to call programs and you'd be waiting on the line to talk to, you know, whoever the presenter was while you're trying to write your story, you know, waiting on hold. You could be put on air at any time and you're still trying to scribble. You've still got to call the newsroom and, and file to them. And often programs would take so long to get to you that you would just have to go live during the news and there was no other way around it. Um, did, but, you, did you enjoy the rush of that? Yeah, like, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing quite like no, it, is there? Nothing at all, I don't think. No. It was um yeah, it's intense. But then after when it's when it's got to air, it's so satisfying. T V then came calling for you? Yeah, I'd um I'd been in contact with the with um a Channel Ten newsroom while I was working at two G B and um it had sort of been a while coming, I guess, and um uh, eventually uh crime reporting position came up there and I went across, um, started working there. And it took a, a bit for me to get my head around. I suppose it's a completely different style of writing, um, writing to pictures, but um, there were some really good people that helped me out there. Um, Eddie Meyer, fantastic TV writer. He was um, very helpful in, in teaching me how to switch my writing styles. And um, and John Hill, I found so helpful. He took me out one day and taught me how to do a piece to camera, which is you know, the bit where the journalist yeah. is speaking to camera in the middle of the story, which I'd obviously never had to do before. Um, and it's completely, there's not that same rush necessarily so frequently as getting something to air urgently in TV as there is in radio. Um, it's a bit of a slower build over the course of the day. Um, there's sort of, I suppose, a lower level, level of anxiety over a more extended period of time. Um but I, I, I the, actually, the bit of TV that I liked the most was doing live crosses, and pro- that was probably because that was the closest thing to, to radio. radio. Yeah. So I was there for about a year before I, I think I decided that um, I wanted a bit of a change, um, just generally. And um, I, look, I, I, I think I, TV is hard in some ways because in radio, it doesn't. You can turn up at a crime scene and tell the story without having to convince anybody to talk to you or it obviously it makes the story more personable and more engaging and more exciting if you do have um, someone to talk to if you yeah. or, you know um, if you've got some actuality but in TV there, there's so much pressure to get someone on camera and and it's going to be someone that's not associated with an all-in press conference, right? It's got to be somebody new so that you have got something additional to add to the the story as opposed to, okay, go to the crime scene and the cops have done a a stand-up and then you just use that. They want something Something else. Something else, yeah. The cops are not enough. No. No, The cops boring, (laughs) generally. Yeah, yeah, I I don't know. I personally, I I, I admire people that can go out and do it, but I personally hated pressuring people into talking that didn't want to talk. If I knocked on someone's door and they said, we're really sorry, we're just, we're heartbroken, you know, our son's been, you know, badly hurt or whatever, I just, I couldn't Go to that next level and I couldn't, I just couldn't do it. And um, my... Um, one of the bosses at Channel 10 told me that I, I needed to get a bit of mongrel in me. And I just thought, 
Don't want. I don't want to be that person. Because you're not. You're not a featherweight, right? But you're no, not an out and out like yeah. you know demanded th- kind of person. I think so. Yeah. Um. And uh, yeah. I. 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 I, re- I struggled with. Um. Uh, with that a bit. And you know, there was. There's a lot of very competitive people working in TV. There's a lot of very nice people working in TV as well. It's, you know, there's very different ways of um of going about getting a story. Um. But I think on the day-to-day crime round, that seems to be the most effective way of badgering someone into, you know, into talking. And, um, yeah, I, 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 I struggle with it a bit. And, um, you know, I, I just sort of thought, I don't know if this is what I want to be doing for the rest of my life. So decided to, to go back and study. And um, the Channel 10 were good to me. They um, let me keep working there casually. I was worked on the production desk Um Doing lineup producing and whatnot, and um, and and then I went back and, and did some radio shifts at, at 2UE and Nova and um, and whatnot, so, and 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 did some teaching also at 2SER, um, which Murray Olds took over um, when I stopped doing that. So it, you know it was great. I still kept my foot in the door for the time that I was studying, and um, and they were really helpful and, and supportive of, of what I wanted to do in the end. So. So those different pressures of, of TV, did that, um, I guess for one better of a term, turn you off media or was it the fact that it was just different to radio and you found it difficult to adjust to what they were doing on a, on a daily basis? I mean, there's the whole thing about radio is that, you know, you might be on half hourly deadlines throughout the morning, but TV, you've got to take a whole day to put together a story. So how did you find that? In terms of a like a, a transition initially, I guess. Yeah, I think in radio, it's like if you if you miss something, you go, oh, oh well, we'll just get it in the next half an hour. But if you miss something in TV, that was your whole day's work, just you know, and you would go home feeling like crap. And um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, I didn't deal well with the the pressures of um, the the pressure of having to put pressure on other people, I suppose. Um, and yeah, I didn't. There, 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 I'm not saying I didn't enjoy it altogether, but um, yeah, I definitely, considering I'd spent a large period of my career wanting to get into that area, I didn't love it as much as I thought I would. And like I said, I, there's so many good TV reporters out there and I admire the people that do their job what well, yeah. um, but it just wasn't for me, I suppose. Chasing John Elias down the street? Oh, How God. was that? I think John that's still Elias on that. vision. I think that's still out there somewhere, isn't it? I'll never escape that. I think he, um, we'd sort of set up it. He was he was notorious for sneaking out of court, and we'd set up at all the different exits at um, at Bankstown, and he came just happened to come out of the one that I was. Yeah, this is the former at. footballer that was accused of of match fixing, and you know he was notorious for. Um, uh, his dislike of journalists and mm. uh, being able to escape the scene of uh, various uh, uh, things where he was at, but um, he was yeah. like the Houdini of court or something. <laughs> I don't know. And yeah, I I I did manage. I'm, I'm not a good runner, and <laughs> I was sprinting after you know someone who was essentially a, an elite athlete in his time down the streets of Bankstown, and you know he managed to sneak through a doctor's surgery. 
and just escaped everybody. And we sort of came through and they were like, are you chasing that bald man? And we said, yes, where did he go? I don't even know how he did it. Oh, Do you have any other (laughs) memorable uh, stories or things that you covered and then essentially in both radio and TV that you thought, you know what, I actually did that really well and put it together and it came off seamlessly. There would have been others that sort of fell to the the floor. But um, do you have any great highlights that you think – that's why I got into the media game and that's why I I decided to pursue that as a career. Oh, look, I think any of those really big stories that I, that I mentioned before, you know, I mean, when Michael McGurk got shot, um, we set out the side of his house in Mossman for days and days and days, but the whole story was just so intriguing and interesting and exciting that, um, you know, it was it – was, you didn't mind, you know, and um, and then when I went to work in TV and they'd um, they'd arrested people over um, over his death, I just you know happened to get sent to that court story, and it was really good when that sort of thing happened, where you'd been following something for a period of time, and yep. you know you were so sort can of wrap really it up all in a nice in neat yeah, little exactly. bow. And I've, I mean, the the great advantage there is that you can fall back on the the stories that you covered before so it's like covering it from start to end yeah must be one of those exciting and rewarding things to know that you've actually seen an entire story through yeah that's it and i suppose uh that would happen a lot with you know very senior journalists that have been around for ages they must see you know these decade-long sort of stories that have started off as as, as a crime and then gone through the courts and then there might be an appeal process and they've got all this knowledge to sort of be able to fall back on and they've, or they've got their old notes and they, they know exactly the, the sequence of things so that you can bring that. Well, essentially what you're doing, I guess, in, as a journalist in radio or TV is that you're conveying a story. So to have that uh, skill to be able to just recall things and remember stuff is obviously an important part of the job. Yeah, that's it. Look, my memory's not great at the best of times. I'm happy to <laughs> confess that. But I, I've, I've, al- I've always got these little sort of niggles in the back of my head. If someone gets shot in a street, even now, I'll be like, hang on, something happened in that street. You know, I vaguely remember something and thank God for Google, you know, mm. um, <laughs> saves me on numerous occasions. So pursuing the legal route and going down that path. Still, obviously, you said there that you had to do study, so uh, you were fortunate enough to still keep that media thing going while you were studying. What was it like just transitioning into like a casual arrangement where you'd be there one day and then you wouldn't and you were doing, I think, some producing shifts there for a while and just doing bits and pieces? What was that like for you as you were trying to study to do something else I actually really liked it because it it was you were doing something different every day and um you know I mean obviously some bits were hard some days I would um go I would work at 2UE on the breakfast shift and then go in and read the news at, at Nova or you know in the afternoon and it was obviously a very different you know style but you knew the stories that were around you were already you know in involved in what was happening in the day um and, you know, I mean, everyone was so good with being, you know, it, it's a very flexible sort of industry, I suppose. And I hadn't really thought about it like that before because I lived and breathed it and I didn't find it flexible at all while I was working in it. I couldn't feel like, it, you know, it was like all encompassing. But um, when I actually stepped away a little bit, I realised that you could sort of dip in and out when you needed to. And once you've got the skills there, people are willing to, you know, have you slot in wherever 
Oh, once you've got your name and you've built up a reputation, Mm. people know what they're going to get from you. So it's not like you're uh, just starting out and they're going to test you to see what you can do. They obviously know what you can do and then people are sick or there's people that leave and they just need somebody for a couple of weeks and having that experience on board and had your runs on the board, you're able to just slot in and then slot out when the yeah. when the, the time bet, which obviously was very convenient for you also. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's one of those things like, you know, I've been doing it for 10 years, but I'd never really thought about the skills that I'd acquired over that period of time. And it wasn't until I, um, I, I got asked if I wanted to come and do some teaching at 2SER and that they've got a great little setup there. They've got, you know, a little newsroom and, and you know, a few kids come in each morning and they um, one of them reads and one of them, um, you know, will um, write and, one you know, one's sort of like the, the editor and whatnot. And, um, and when I sort of, you know, had these kids coming in and not knowing anything about radio, I, I realised what I've learned, I'd learned over that period of time, yeah, and, and how much there is to learn when you don't know anything. Um, so I guess that was kind of satisfying in a way, realising that I, I have learned something in the time that I've been working. So what was that like, actually passing on your knowledge to people that were as green as grass, remembering the fact that you were once that person and didn't really... You would have had an idea, but... Not, not much. <laughs> no, but not... Not in terms of, okay, well, this is actually how a story is put together. What was that like being able to pass on that that knowledge and people looking up to you and looking for guidance? It's quite satisfying in a way. I've never really thought of myself as being a particularly good teacher or, you know, very patient or anything like that, but maybe I surprised myself. I don't know. Um, And there were people, I mean, Jess Campanaro had sort of set up this little newsroom and she is incredibly patient and a very good teacher. Um, uh, but, yeah, like you say, I mean, you just I, – I realised I did have knowledge to pass on and um, I, I think that a lot of the kids were quite appreciative. And, and some of them have gone on to – you know, some of them are working at 2GB now and um, and that sort of thing, and that's great. It's really nice to see them doing well. Um, and you know, I tried not to be too – I think at the time I was so jaded about – the whole industry and I was you know I had to try not to be too cynical about the whole thing and you know tell them there are jobs out there and you know you will have a future don't worry without you know worrying too much about the fact that the 2UE newsroom was being scrapped and there weren't going to be any jobs there you know that sort of thing so um but it's good you know I'm happy to see that some of them especially the ones that were good um, that were coming through doing well. How is it when you see somebody just have that light bulb moment where they you teach them this is how you do it and then watch them and carry that through? Again, that must be enormously satisfying. Yeah, definitely. Some of, the, some of them kids were so talented and you'd only have to tell them something once and that was it, you know, and some of them had to try a lot harder and when they had been... You know, you could tell they'd been practicing reading at home, and they came in and they just nailed it. You know, it, it was it was you know you could see um, that excitement that I suppose I experienced, or we all experienced once upon a time, and had probably lost over the years where it just becomes normal. You know, for you to you know be have your voice on the radio or you know have yep. your face on the tv that's just what you do for your job so it's not not a big deal um 
yeah, so it's kind of refreshing, I guess, to see see that be an exciting thing for someone again. Even though you're out of it now, do you still get excited by radio coverage or TV coverage when you watch it at home, or is that something that you've put in the the shadows of your your career now that you've moved on to something that you're doing? differently? I'm still definitely a news junkie at heart. Um, I still, you know, even when I'm at work, like, you know, checking the news sites and if something happens, I'm still telling everyone in the corridors about what's happened. Um, And, you know, I still, I do, I I love, um, I love watching my friends doing well. um, You know, most of them were working in TV now, I guess. Um, uh, And, and, yeah, I, I still love watching big news stories being covered on TV or, or listening to it on the radio. I do still find it really exciting. I don't think that'll ever escape me. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it really escapes any of us really as much as we try. I'm just really <laughs> just surprised just out there now just how many people, and I think it's sad, just not interested in the news or you're able to talk about a subject and it's like they've been living in a in a hole yeah, right. it's just yeah. like it's hard to describe for people that aren't actually in it that just that constant being able to always want to know what's mm. going on at yeah. any given time and it's only been exacerbated by social media with twitter and all of those things that you're constantly scrolling through and it you find it very difficult to switch off do you find it easier now to switch off now that you're not in it yeah i definitely find it easier to switch off i it took me a while to break my twitter addiction but i have um i mean i still go on there if i know something big's happening and i you know i want more information but i've I've definitely cracked the addiction but i mean i still if i'm driving somewhere and it's coming up to the top of the hour i'll switch on to the news like it's 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 a habit and that that will not change i do not think it i still if I'm home from work at times, which on the news, there's no, you know, I don't, wouldn't go a day where I haven't watched a TV news bulletin. You know, I, I'm a bit the same as you. If someone hasn't heard of, you know, doesn't realise there's an election coming up or yeah. anything like that, you know, it's hard to, it's hard for me to fathom. Now let's talk about the move to the legal side of things. You mentioned there before that after radio and TV wasn't necessarily your thing. What was it that actually made you decide to to go down that that path? Um, I don't think it was the most rational decision I've ever made. I think I was just um, exhausted with um, the the hours that I was working and, you know, um, the pressure that I was constantly put under and, you know, it was a bit of an out, I suppose. But when I say that, I mean it's something that I've always been – obviously was – quite interested in, in crime and, and um, I loved court reporting. Um, so it was definitely something I was interested in and just thought, oh, you know, I'll, I'll go back and, you know, study for a bit and see how it all pans out. And turns out once I sort of got into the swing of things, I loved it and now I'm, yeah, now I'm a court junkie and <laughs> media junkie. So what was it like going back and studying after oh, like 10 years or whatever? Because you're now not the young person that, that studied, you're the, the older, mature age student and having to adjust that mindset from, I think I've left all of my study days behind me to thinking, I'm going to jump back into this, into a completely different profession. It was really hard. Um, it might just be that law was a much more difficult thing to study than journalism because I, I don't know about you I did very little work at uni first time around there was a lot of drinking not a lot of uni work being done and um 
law was is a lot of and even even you know I don't know studying media that you know we're just out filming movies all the time or you know doing interviews with people down at the beach or you know there wasn't a lot of um heavy reading whereas law is a lot of reading textbooks reading cases um writing you know long essays that sort of thing it was it was heavy going and it took me a long time to transition and there's not I was so used to working to those regular deadlines and having pressure on me at all time that when I had to get work done, when I didn't have tight deadlines, when I had three weeks to do an assignment or even one week to do an assignment, I just wouldn't get anything done, you know. So, so. you last minute? <laughs> yeah, definitely last minute. But then I realised that it was a lot of the work was far too complicated to do last minute and I really had to just, adopt, you know, completely change my way of How did you get your head things. around all of that kind of stuff? It, it really it took me a long time, you know, like, um, I don't know, I had to just read of read up about how to concentrate on things without, it, you know, it's a completely different way of operating. And even in my job now, I don't have the same sort of deadlines as I worked under when I was in the media. And, you know, I've just, I've just had to learn to get stuff done without needing to be under all of that pressure, I guess. What are the most interesting parts of what you do now compared to what you've done previously? Um, I get to sit in court all day, which I love. Um, we get some really interesting trials. Um, and, you know, I always I liked sitting in court when I was working as a journalist, but generally um, just given resources. And I know it's something that the media get criticised um, for a bit. You don't uh, – and in an entire court ca- – court case won't be covered. You might go for the crown opening, you'll go for the defence opening, you might go for the key witnesses, but you don't hear about the rest of the trial. So you're not really a reader is not getting, or a listener or, you know, a viewer is not getting um, the complete package. The complete, you know, and then I think that's probably why um, the courts get criticised a lot for, you know, light sentences or, you know, well, that was, well, why did that guy get found not guilty? He obviously did it, you know, because the whole story hasn't been covered and it's just impossible. It's impossible to cover the whole thing. All right, you can imagine sitting someone and saying, right, you're on this court story for the next six months. It's just not going to happen, right? It's not going to happen. It might have happened at one point in time, but definitely wouldn't happen now. Um, Whereas when you do actually sit through an entire case and you get to the end and you kind of have a sense of what you might decide if you were on the jury and you've got a full understanding of everything that's happened. Um, I really enjoy that. And, um, yeah, like I said, get to see a lot of interesting things. Um, you know, help my judge out with a lot of research. Um, I, it's really nerdy, but I find a lot of the that sort of stuff interesting. <laughs> So what's the end game for you? Where are you now and what's the what's the, the future hold for you? I'm keeping a very open mind at this point um, and I think that's probably because, you know, like I was saying at the start, I, when I decided I wanted to work as a journalist, I just wanted to write and then um, decided I loved radio and when I finally got to my what I thought was my end point of TV, I didn't love it at all. So um, I'm, I'm keeping an open mind given that, I think, given my experience in the past. Um, you know, if, if I was offered a job, at this point in time that seemed like it was something I was interested in and I love it, then great. You know, I'm happy to follow that path. So, um, you know, maybe I might go practice. Maybe I might not. I don't know. Given your decade or more of experience in media um, and having experienced it in both radio and TV, what advice would you give to young people that are coming through now? Obviously, you've done a bit of that given the fact that you've done some teaching. So, what are the key things that you say to people that are 
enthusiastic about pursuing a media career given the fact that it's shrinking by the day? Well, I would tell the kids that I was teaching, try and get as much experience as you possibly could. I mean, they were in an ideal position in that they were getting that sort of experience that they needed to. And, you know, when they were in that situation, I would encourage them to record themselves and I would encourage them not, I mean, I was giving them feedback um, on their reading and their writing, but I would encourage them to take that to as many other people as they possibly could and ask for feedback. Even people that aren't in radio, because people that are listening to you aren't necessarily other journalists, you know, they're just punters on the street. Like I would say to my mum, you know, what do you think of this and you know, she'd be like, oh, why did you say that word, how you said that? Or why did you go, why did your voice go up there? Or, you know, whatever. So, you know, it doesn't matter if these people necessarily know how the media works, you know, they can still give you valuable feedback, get as much help as you possibly can and just be prepared to do whatever it takes. You know, if you do have to work crappy shifts, just suck it up, you know, and if you have to move a lot of Kids don't want to let, move out of Sydney, you know, um, and or you know leave wherever they're from. And I think that's something you've just got to accept um, in the media industry. You just you have to do it, you know. So um, yeah, I guess just keep an open mind with those sort of things. And um, yeah, <laughs> that's all I can think of. <laughs> Jess Pellicciani, thanks very much for your time. Thanks, Ralph. There she is, Jess Pellicciani. If you really enjoyed my chat today with Jess, send her a tweet. She's at Jessie Pell, which is J-E-S-S-I-P-E-L-L. You can also follow us on Twitter, which is at MediaMatesAU. Check out the Facebook page. Most importantly, if you could subscribe in iTunes, that'd be great. It means you won't miss an episode. While you're there, leave a rating or a view. That way, more people will learn about the show. Until next time, I'm Ralph Tucker, and this has been the Media Mates Podcast. <laughs> Media Mates Podcast.